and so just a, a variety of, of wonderful things going on here in the house of prayer. And then at the same time, um, there are just, I mean, surprising and shocking things happening in our nation and specifically with our election. And um, when I woke up this morning, uh, I felt like the Lord just began to pull a switcheroo on me from what I was planning on speaking on and just began to bear on my heart, you know, with clarity, uh, some thoughts about the current state of our nation, where we are uh, as a church, and, uh, and I want to speak right into that. I want to go ahead and be faithful to what I feel like the Spirit of the Lord is, is moving on me. And I'll just say this, when you change your message, or when the Lord changes your message, I'll blame the Lord. When, you, when, you're, when the Lord changes your message last minute, it means your outline will have some typos in it. Glory. So there's some typos in your outline. I'll just poke, point them out for you on the front end. But um, when I woke up this morning, I, I just felt this phrase. I just heard this phrase in my heart. And it, it was this, that the church must not lose her prophetic voice by compromising morality. In other words, the church is supposed to be a voice that declares darkness and, and light. It's supposed to be a voice that declares what's holy and what's unholy, what's righteous and, and what's unrighteous. And it's supposed to be really clear on those issues. And of kind of where we are with this upcoming election, it feels to me like uh, there has just been such a... In, in relation to what's righteous, what's unrighteous, what's good, and what's evil. And it feels to me a bit like the church hasn't been, um, hasn't been forthright. And, and so I want to speak right into that. I feel like this. The church, and I'm talking about the body of Christ in every quadrant where anybody loves Jesus and, 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 and you know, looks to Jesus as Lord and Savior... Uh, you know, salvation by grace through faith by the blood of Jesus. That group, whoever they are in wherever denomination, wherever they exist, the church is to have a prophetic voice. And I feel like if the church, if the church lines up with immorality and tries to whitewash immorality, she is going to cash in, she's going to sell out her opportunity to be prophetic and be political. And the church is never called to be political. We're called to have proclaimers, preachers, and prophets, not politicians. And we've gotten into this place where somehow the pulpit has been leveraged by power. And so that oftentimes what comes out of our, of our preaching outlets ends up looking more like a, um, a stump speech for one of our political parties. And I just feel in my heart that that's wrong. That can't be the statement over the church that somehow we are a voice for politics or something like that in our nation. And I, and I feel passionately about this, so you just excuse me if I get a little heated today. I don't mind being a little sloppy if I can get truth out there, emotionally I mean. So the, the, the Bible says this in Matthew 5, right there in your outline. It says, to the church, to the people of God, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, 
How shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We're called to be set apart, y'all. We're called to be in the world, but not of the world. Doesn't mean we're called to judge and, and, and you know, always criticize sinners. I, I understand sinners sin, that's what they do. But the last thing I want to do is point to sinful actions, even if it's in political figures, and wink at it and turn a blind eye to it and sort of whitewash it. We're just not, we're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to identify where things are unrighteous and say, well, that's not righteous. We want to take a stand for righteousness. And so uh, we're called to be salt and light. We're called to be a city set on a hill. Salt seasons and salt preserves and light exposes and drives out darkness. And that's what the church is supposed to be as a prophetic instrument in the hand of the Lord. A preserving, purifying, seasoning force for the kingdom of God, exposing darkness and shedding light. That's where we are supposed to be and what we're supposed to be. And not just preachers, all of us in the community of faith. We're not supposed to blend in and look just like the world till you can't even discern who are the children of light and who are the children of darkness. Nor are we supposed to look at political figures who are overt and blatant about sin and then somehow just say, well, they're just like David, you know. He sinned too. Yeah, the difference is when David sinned, he cried out to God and said, please have mercy on me. Don't cast me away from your presence. He didn't say, well, my sin's just like someone else's. It's all the same. It's not a big deal. Guys, we're in a moment right now where our nation needs to hear the word of the Lord. And the church has got to agree with the word of the Lord and agree with righteousness. There in the outline, I just say this. And this might be, this might just run counter to you. It's okay, I'll just, I'll just be honest with what I feel like is, is honest and true. We're not called to be Republicans. We're not called to be Democrats. We're called to be Christians. Citizens of the kingdom of God. There is no way that any political affiliation should shape or form the way that we relate to God or the way that we declare what's righteous in the earth or the way that we practice righteousness. A political affiliation is so far barred as a child of God, as a, as a member of the kingdom of God. We're, we're not called to be either of those. We're called to be voices, I said, voices crying in the wilderness like what Isaiah 40 verse 3 describes the voice of one crying in the wilderness declaring prepare the way of the Lord make straight in the desert a highway for our God the church should be crying out get ready the Lord is coming we're called to be a voice to the earth to 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 sinful people and sinful nations that don't know that Jesus Christ is coming that are not serving the Lord. We're not called to sort of whitewash political figures or, you know, uh, make excuses for, 
for, for people in powerful positions and excuse their sin. No, you never saw biblical prophets stand before a sinful king and just sort of whitewash their sin and then turn around and say, this is God's man or this is God's woman. That's crazy. That's not, that's not what we see in the Bible. What we see is from David to every other king, whenever you had a king that had turned away from the ways of the Lord, the prophet would stand and call them out on their sin. Hey, that's adultery, by the way. Hey, hey, you know, uh, that's murder, by the way. You can't do that. And, and we see that all the way into the New Testament with John the Baptist calling out Herod for being in adultery. Beloved, that's what righteous voices are supposed to do. They're not supposed to line up with political figures for, for power and favors and, and finances and for votes. And all of a sudden, we're going to have more of a say. Look, I don't care if we have a say in the government. I have a say at the throne of God. And that's what the church has. Far greater than whether or not we've got a say in the government. Now, listen, I believe believers are called into office. I believe that with all my heart that God wants to season the public sector with people who will stand for righteousness. But here's the key. Can you stand for righteousness if you're called to be a public servant? Will you stand for righteousness? Look, I'll just be honest with you. I understand the pressures of having to speak and what, you know, you have people looking at you from all sides and they want you to say a certain thing or they don't want you to say a certain thing. I understand the pressure of that. It's difficult. I, I get it. You know, I, I'll tell you about this. I, I spoke at an event in Houston, Texas several years ago. I was one of five speakers at this all-day solemn assembly. We had many people that prayed, but only five people that actually had platform time. One of the speakers was Rick Perry. Okay, he was the governor of, of Texas. So it was me, Rick Perry, and, and a few other uh, speakers, just just three other speakers in an eight-hour block. The rest of it was worship and prayer. I, I don't know how I got on that platform, y'all. I just did, okay? The Lord put me there. And so there I am, and I get, <clears throat> I get like eight minutes to call our nation to repentance and revival. And that's what I did. And, uh, you know, the Lord was gracious, and he, and he met that moment with, with, you know, his presence, and people cried out in intercession for a third great awakening. It was a blessing. I was, I was just honored and humbled to be able to do it. Well, here's the deal. Afterwards, there was a reception, a governor's reception. There was about 300 people invited to this reception. And uh, it was just prior to the last presidential election. Rick Perry's going to be running for office. Well, you know, I'm there in this lobby, and there's all these movers and shakers, all these political people. And, man, they're passing out business cards. And it was the most odd. I mean, you want to talk about a fish out of water. I felt like I had just stepped into the wrong room. I walked in there. And all these political people who are trying to rub shoulders with the governor and anybody that's on the platform, they start running over to me and throwing their business cards at me. It was the most odd thing. And they're grabbing me by the arm and, hey, you know what you said? And, and I'm so-and-so, I'm the representative of this. And, and I'll tell you what, if you ever need anything, you just give me a call. I probably had 10 people do me like that. It was odd. I'd, I've never experienced anything like it before or since. And I thought, wow, eight minutes and everybody wants a little piece. Just eight minutes in the light, in the, in the limelight, and everybody wants a little piece of you. What about these guys in office that are, you know, political figures that are always on platforms with giant crowds and followings? 
There's 30,000 people at this event, so they must have thought I was somebody special. <laughs> Little did they know I walk around in an empty room every day of my life talking to a God I can't see. <laughs> However, I just thought about what does it take to be a man or a woman that as you ascend those kind of public places and there's power and there's pressure and there's money being thrown at you from every angle, what does it take to actually stand for truth in those places? You've got to be grounded in the word, in the Lord, humbled, a man of prayer, a man of of humility. I mean, you've got to be really given to the Lord to be able to stand firm. Here's who we're called to be. We're called to be a voice and not just a voice for truth, like a beacon of light for it, a light, like he says, but we're, we're also called to be the support and the pillar of truth. That's, what, that's actually what uh, Paul told Timothy. He says this, he goes, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of truth. Of truth, y'all. The pillar and support, these terms are actually, they're, they're building terms. They're, they're, they, they speak about the foundations and the bulwark that support the, the, the truth. The church is supposed to be so clear because wherever truth is, that's where the church is. And the church is supposed to be supporting and declaring truth no matter the cost. Look, no matter the cost. All this talk about, well, you know what they'll do? They'll take away your 501c3. They'll try to get it so that you can't, you know, say what's sin. They'll make sin, uh, you know, saying that, that, you know, homosexuality is sin or saying that this is, you know, this sexual immorality is sin. They'll make that hate speech and they'll try to take away your 501c3. You better be quiet. I just say this, take away my 501c3 because the church isn't about a 501c3. It's not about being affirmed by a government that's, that's fallen. It's not, it's not about that. It's about being a pillar of truth and a world that is spinning completely out of control. Take away our tax-exempt status. That's not going to change a thing. Throw me in jail for saying that holiness is holiness and sin is sin. That's totally fine with me. I'm not of this world. My citizenship is not of this place. I'm from another place. In this age, this is not it. This is not the, the whole of my story, nor is it the whole of your story. There are ages to come, and there's a kingdom to come, and there's a king that's coming. And his name is not Trump or Clinton. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus, y'all. That's who's coming. He's really coming with fire in his eyes. Haggai 2 says it clearly. He's going to overthrow the thrones of all nations. Well, let me ask you this. If he has to overthrow those thrones, do you think it's because that they're righteous thrones? It's because they're unrighteous. That's why he has to overthrow them. This is the reality of the status of the earth that we live in right now. And the church has got to wake up. We're in a little bit of like fantasy land. Especially in America. I'm just talking about the American church. It's not like this all over the earth. But it's like we've been walking around in an amusement park. And we just think it's never-ending cotton candy and never-ending, like, roller coasters. And you 
You know, you just throw the ball and knock over the bottle and you get a big stuff, fluffy stuffed animal and everybody's happy. This is real. This is not real. That's not reality. Like the American greatness and prosperity. So many of those messages are actually anti-kingdom of God. Now, listen, I'm, I'm not against liberty and freedom and, and, and democracy. And I feel like this, I feel like as, as it relates to men, the greatest form of government any nation could have is a democratic republic where there's a representative vote by the people for, you know, for what they want to be, how they want to be led. The problem with the democratic republic is it's, 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 <laughs> it's flawed, just like every other human you know, governmental system is flawed. It's probably the best of the worst ones. I mean, it's the best of all the bad ones. There's one good one. It's called a theocracy. It's when God rules and reigns over the earth, okay? It's the only biblical one. And that's the one that we're hoping for and looking for when the Lord Jesus returns and reigns from Jerusalem. That's the one that our hope is in. It's in the day of the Lord when Jesus comes and reigns. A democratic republic, representative, vote by the people. It works as long as the people are righteous, but when the people are not righteous, get what, guess what they pick? They pick the desires of their own heart, and they pick unrighteousness. Let me just tell you something. We're staring right now at a presidential election where no matter which side you look, we're staring at unrighteousness. Don't look, I, I get it. I know. You, you want to you argue me the virtues of if I vote for this one, then that one won't get elected. And that's a better plan than if I vote for that one and this won't get elected. I get it. No, I understand. You want to argue that with me? I don't want to argue with that with you. I am not interested in that, that conversation at all. I think that's a ridiculous conversation. Here's why. Because we're so in tune with a natural stance and our, and our, our natural circumstances, we can't even see what's going on. I believe this. No matter who gets elected, we're still in the same boat. Deeply in need of Jesus. And we have to wake up. We have to wake up. Critical premises. The church has to understand that its prosperity is not determined by our president, by our system of government, or the strength of our economy. So often in America, because we kind of put democracy, capitalism, and Christianity all in one bucket... And we think that they're all synonymous and they're all the same. So often in America, we believe that the nation has to, it has to like prosper in a certain way for Christianity to prosper. But the, the prosperity of the church is not based on the prosperity of our nation. It's just not, guys. I can point around the world to, to nations that are not prospering, that have horrifying systems of government, have broken infrastructure and corruption all over the place, and the church is absolutely on fire. Muslim nations, the church in Iran right now, I'm just telling you, when, when the secrets of men's hearts are revealed and we stand at the judgment seat and the Iranian believers come forward and we see the oppressions that they've walked through to take a stand for truth in the midst of incredible pressure, in the midst of, of absolute poverty and their passion and their fire for the Lord Jesus, that moment is gonna be a shocker because all of our big names are gonna end up serving coffee 
to Iranian and North Korean believers in the age to come. North Korean, where some 100,000 believers right now are in prison camps, where they're being tortured on a regular basis for their faith, and they're standing with fire and passion, that's beautiful before the throne of God. That's the kingdom that we're of. Those are our brothers and sisters. The prosperity and the blessing of that nation or the government of that nation, how good it is or how bad it is, isn't determining the fire that's in the heart of believers, which is really what God is after, is a faithful people that will love his son no matter the cost. Too often we've loved Jesus for what we can get from Jesus. We, we love Jesus as long as it means I'm blessed. As long as it means I'm rich or I'm prosperous or things are going well for me or I'm healed. But let me ask you something. Is Jesus alone enough? Is the cross of Jesus enough? The fact that God loved you and died for you, is that enough to serve him? Is he worthy to serve him if you get nothing in this life? See, this is where Christianity has to come to grips with with what's real. We've assumed that so many blessings are required in our nation for us to, to be blessed and thrive in the church. It's just not the truth. The church can thrive without a government that even honors us or that's for us or without an economy that's exploding. We don't have to have those things for our hearts to be burning in love with Jesus. I remember talking to Chinese pastors and asking them, I said, hey, what, what were the key points? Why was there revival and why has there been revival in communist China? And the key points were this. He said, well, there was much persecution. There was financial um, a poverty. And those were the two key issues that enabled us to, to lean into prayer, to cry out to God to get revival. I go, so persecution and poverty caused the, the church to thrive. Didn't say democracy, capitalism, getting your president in office. See, we're, we're a little bit, our mentality can be a little bit so American that we miss the kingdom. And I'm so grateful for all, all the freedoms that we've been able to experience in our, in our nation. I'm so grateful for so many that have served to secure liberty in our nation. And, and so many have given their lives the ultimate sacrifice to make sure that we have the ability to, I can stand up here and say these things. And I'm so grateful for all that. I'm so thankful for all that. But sometimes I think that we just take it all for granted and, and we don't quite understand how that works, how the system of American government works, uh, you know, and, and how it is different from the, the prosperity of the church. I say this in B, that the prosperity of, our, of the church is solely based upon her engagement with the heart of God, her faithfulness to the truth, and the progress of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the absolute truth, guys. 
The, truth, the church will flourish as she has her head on the chest of Jesus, as she is faithfully anchoring to truth, proclaiming truth, and as she is declaring the gospel and the gospel is going forth with power. And the power of God displayed through the gospel, it's the only hope for America. It's the only hope for America. I, honestly, I'm not looking for America to be great again. I'm looking for the church to be filled with the power of God again. That's what we need. Power of God displayed through the gospel is the hope for America. The church needs to recognize that our source of life, strength, and peace is God alone, not our national government or even the freedoms that we hold so dear. Christianity is not aligned with a political party or system of government. In fact, the only biblical system, as I said a minute ago, is a theocracy. And this is our hope. Jesus Christ ruling and reigning over the nations from Jerusalem. So the question is, where's God in all this? What in the world is going on? We've got two crazy candidates. I'm assuming you saw or heard the video from yesterday. It's just outrageous. It's just this most disgusting, despicable thing. And I just, I just have to say, I'm just... I just want to say it's wrong. Again, it's wrong for quote-unquote prophetic voices to act like somebody who flaunts adultery and perversion and even abuse of women... Like, oh, well, that's just like David. It's okay. He really is God's chosen man. That is wrong, y'all. That's wrong. Look, it might appear this. Things, it seems like things are spinning completely out of control. It's, I mean, you think about everything that's going on. We've got these candidates. God bless them. Lord, save them. <clears throat> We've divided nation. We've all these wounds and challenges and threats and all this, you know, international crisis. We have protests in our streets. Our debt is 19 trillion. Terror attacks, commonplace. For whatever reason, I put that whole paragraph in there twice. That's A and B. <laughs> Double emphasis. The point is this. In light of all this, I'm absolutely convinced that the sovereign Lord of the universe is actually orchestrating these events. He's overseeing them. He's, he's still in control. He's completely at peace. God is at ease. He's not freaked out. He's not worried. He's not like, oh my gosh, did you see that Trump tape? Oh my God. Never saw that coming. He's completely aware of what's happening. He's not in any way upset, moved. He's not in any way dissuaded from bringing justice or worried. Our father is on the throne and he's in complete control. And as a church, we need to connect to that truth. That our father knows exactly what's going on and he's orchestrating this current situation. He's bringing together the ingredients. He's overseeing it. Not just the election cycle, but even the world events. 
He's utilizing these things to bring to the surface the issues of men's hearts and to reveal the current state of affairs in the earth. And one of the things that I feel like is happening right now is the church is getting exposed. Evangelical leaders lining up on the right and on the left behind these two potential candidates, these two potential uh, these two candidates who are potentially the president, and they're completely selling out their morality and they're selling out their, their stance for truth. And, and, and I feel like the Lord is utilizing this whole thing to, to expose us. And so, what is God doing? I think he's got a purpose in all this. I think he's completely in control. I think he's not worried. And I think, worried, and I think he's got a, a clear a couple points of purpose in all of this. And and obviously more than what I'm seeing, I don't think I'm the only one that's got any kind of insight on anything. I think the Lord's seeing on 10 different levels all at once. I've got two little points that I think can help bring some clarity to us. But I mentioned it there in D. I believe, is it D on you guys' outline? Yeah. Two specific purposes. First, number one, I believe this. America is experiencing the judgment of God. We're living in the land of the judgments of the Lord. Now, here's the deal. In the church, we don't need to be afraid of the judgments of God. In fact, when you look at the word judgment, you actually study it in the Greek, you find out what a judgment is. It's just God making a decree. God makes judgments for righteousness, and he makes makes judgments that include wrath. I mean, he he makes uh, judgments for blessing and, and, and judgments that have negative impact. I mean, a judgment is just a decision from the throne. And our God is a judge, and guess what he does? He judges. He judges, and he always judges righteously. Always. And so when we, when we think about the word judgment, there's judgment, the idea of judgment has gotten a bad rap lately. Like there's a whole theological string that's saying that God doesn't do judgment. Well, if he doesn't do judgment, what kind of judge is he? Is he no longer a judge? What's the deal? No, he does judgment. And he's making decisions. He's making decrees. He's ordering things. He, he, he's, he's ordering the... The, uh, the events of human affairs. He's, he's not causing people to make their decisions, but he's ordering the events. He's working everything according to the counsel of his will. That's what the scripture tells us. He's working everything together according to the counsel of his will. So he's, he's judging. Now, look at what we've got to choose from. Romans 1.8 explains how this actually works. It describes that when people give themselves over to sin, God will then give them the fullness of their sin. In Romans 1.28, that whole section there, when people give themselves and they pursue sin, God, as a judgment to them, will allow them to have what they've pursued. Here we are, we're looking at this election, looking at these two candidates, Perversion, narcissism, human, narcissism, humanism, and greed. I mean, when I look at these two candidates, this is, this is what I'm, saying, I'm seeing. Now, I know there are people that God created that he loves and he wants to have a relationship with them. He wants them to turn from sin and turn towards him. But what they are right now, what we're seeing in them right now are these four key things. Perversion, narcissism, humanism, and greed. The things that Paul told us to be aware of at the end of the age that would come to a fullness. And America has gone headlong after perversion, narcissism, humanism, and greed. So God's giving us the full of what we've pursued. That's what's going on here. Don't try to whitewash one of these candidates. 
Seriously. Don't try to like, you know, round the corners on it and sort of scrub them up and like, you know, clean that thing up. And well, look at that. That really is righteous. No, it's not. We're staring at two unrighteous candidates. And I know, I know we're not electing a Sunday school teacher. I get that point. But at the end of the day, there's a, a certain place that believers have to have where they have to make a stand for truth and what's righteous. And they have to call it what it is out there. And what we're staring at right now is the embodiment of the sins of our nation. Now, the Lord does this. He exposes us to bring us to our knees. Now, as I say there in one under A, I mean, uh, one under D, I say there in A, the church doesn't need to be afraid of judgments. Judgments are his decisions. His intentions are always good. His judgments are true and righteous altogether. And when his judgments are in the earth, people learn righteousness. God presses us and allows pressure and trial to come on us to cause us to choose righteousness. It's what he does. It's how he, it's, it's actually an act of his mercy. He doesn't just leave us to ourselves to choose our own way and the desires of our own heart. He actually presses us, judges us, and causes us in that place of judgment to reach for him. That's how he actually leads. The Bible says he actually moves the boundary lines of nations so that men will grope for God. And when his judgments are in the earth, people learn righteousness. They turn. How do I know? Because anytime you see a major calamity, man services get filled. People start running like, oh man, I gotta get right with God right now. I remember after 9-11, I remember we called a, a prayer meeting at our church at that time. And man, that thing filled up. Like on a Tuesday night, we had like five, six hundred people come to a prayer meeting in a church of about a, a thousand or twelve hundred. Like half the church showed up with a few hours notice. And I remember it was like that for a couple Sundays. And then everybody kind of got used back to you know, life as usual, got back to the carnival of America, our football games kept going and our entertainments kept happening, and, you know, life continued as it is. I'm just going to tell you something, as we see crisis events continue to mount in the earth, there's going to have to be a time when we don't go back to business as usual. There's just got to be a time when you actually wake up to reality, like, hey, things are in a bad state of affairs. We've got to live differently. We can't just sit there and, and just sort of go through the motions and, and try to lean into American prosperity. That, that just can't be our pursuit. Our pursuit has to be the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things that he wants to release in the earth. And then he'll take care of us. So he's judging us. He's judging America that he can redeem America. I don't believe America's lost. I believe revival's coming to America. I believe the greatest hour for the church in America is still in front of us. I believe the greatest outbreak of salvation and revival is still in front of us. The thing is, God is going to use means to wake us up to righteousness. Now, he's so kind, he uses the least severe means to bring the greatest number of people to voluntary love. But the pressings are going to be real. And the state of events that we're in right now 
It's a time for the church to say, no, I, I don't choose, I don't endorse, I don't embrace you know, what I'm seeing in front of me in this political system. I choose Jesus. I choose the Lord Jesus and his righteousness and his kingdom. And that's what I am putting my heart into. So secondly, what's he doing? He is, he's bringing us to our knees. He's calling us as a church to cry out in prayer, to change our lifestyles, to prioritize prayer above everything else. It's unconscionable to think that we're considering electing either one of these people. It just really is. The, the list of, of debauchery on each side is just out of control. This is, not, this is not okay. And so the Lord's bringing us to our knees. That's what he's doing. He's defeating our choices. We don't have a good choice except for Jesus. He's the choice. You're saying, are you saying don't vote? Look, you vote for whatever you think will bring the most righteousness. I think either, a vote either direction brings us to the same spot. Still needing Jesus. Radically needing Jesus. I'll just say this. I personally just know that I'm going to have to stand before the Lord and give an account. I can't put an X by either one of those two names. I know that. I'll probably write in Jesus or something. Yeah, vote. There's a lot of other elections going on. There's laws that are up, up for grabs. Absolutely vote. Vote for what you believe will bring righteousness. I, I, my conscience won't allow me to say, I just can't. I just can't put an X next to one of those names. I just can't. I just know I can't. So God's calling us to prayer. That's what he's calling us to. He's calling the church to cry out to God. He's calling us to fast and pray, to cry out for mercy, to unite, to, to turn to him in repentance and to ask him to mercifully release power on the nation. I love what he's doing. He's kicking out all the props. He's removing the options. He's, have you noticed the gray area just keeps getting just smaller and smaller? All these issues of unrighteousness in front of us. Gay marriage is, is now approved. Man, I remember when I saw those, those uh, pictures of the White House with rainbow lights on it. I mean, when I saw that, I went, wow. If you didn't, at some point, if you didn't, if you didn't think, wow, this is messed up, like our, our government's going the wrong place. When you see those rainbow lights as a believer, what do you think? You either jump on board and go, well, maybe it is okay. Maybe it really is love. Maybe love can't be denied. And you jump out of biblical truth, or you stand and you look at that and you go, the answer for our nation is not through that house. It's not through the White House or the Rainbow House or whatever house that is. The answer for our nation is through Jesus. It's time for the church to take that stance. We're called to unite right now. He wants us to unite in prayer. He wants us to turn to him in repentance. He wants us to ask for power to be released. We're not to call to align or embrace or endorse a political party. We've got to give our hearts to Jesus in full allegiance. I was thinking about how often, whenever I, and I've basically gotten off Facebook, and I just, it's just such a, uh, just makes me frustrated. But I've seen so many believers, and they are just, they are saying so much about politics. And I just think, man, say something about Jesus. Say something about the king of kings. Say something about the kingdom. Like put as much energy into the one you love 
as into a fallen political party at least. Come on. I'm not trying to be negative, but man, I think sometimes we just got to do better. Just do better. He wants to rid us of the mixture and compromise, and so he's judging us to narrow our options. Look at Joel 2. What's our answer? What's the prescription right now? The prescription is Joel 2. Joel 2. Joel 2 will be the prescription for the church continuously in an increasing measure as we get closer to the end of the age. Joel 2. Fasting and weeping and mourning. Let's read it. Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people. Sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and nursing babes. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach. That the nation should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? The Lord had already declared to Israel at this time that they were going to be judged. He'd already declared that Babylon was coming. And he calls them to fasting and weeping and to to mourning and to repentance so that he can turn from the judgment he's already intended. And the people don't. And then God releases the judgment. But I believe this, that there's always that stroke of mercy that God wants to release. And revival is a stroke of mercy. And I believe the church has got to cry out for revival in our nation. I believe we've got to just get off of playing political games and all this posturing and worrying about the human power bases. The Lord is the one that raises one up and sets another down. The Lord is the one that, that exalts a valley and brings low a mountain. That's the Lord. He's the one that does that. He's in charge. Our place is this, to agree with his heart, to ask him for his rule and his reign, and to, to absolutely, in a faithful obedience, love him with everything in us. So that brought me to this place to, this morning to declare these things to you, but I was already planning on talking about prayer. We had already decided as a leadership team and among our staff that we were going to have a a new theme uh, for the next several months that we were gonna prioritize prayer. We talked among ourselves, prayed, really sought the Lord and felt like, hey, the thing that's most important for us right now is prayer. And then just the events of the last, you know, 24 hours, man, it just, I think it just supercharges it for me. I just wanna say this while I'm thinking about it. There's also something on my mind. In the last 72 hours, there's been three police officers that were killed. At least two of them were specifically targeted as police officers to get killed. One of them, in other words, the person said, I'm targeting police to kill them. One of them actually goes to one of our friend's churches in St. Louis, Jim Stern. It's actually Joy Bullard's brother's church. And the man is a believer. I mean, loved Jesus, leaves behind a, like a... You know, two-year-old or something, child, one child, leaves behind his wife, 33-year-old guy. Jim, my buddy, Jim did his wedding. I mean, the guy's a believer, loves Jesus, shows up to the scene of a crime, gets out of his car, and immediately 
the, the suspect opens fire on him, kills him. And I just look at these things and I just go, God, there's, the only hope for us is you. Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, don't fix that. Come on, guys. It's a time for us to get the heart of God, to see absolute cultural shift in our nation, to see the kingdom of God come in power. We mourn over the shootings of black men, and we mourn over the shootings of police officers, and we just say, God, bring justice in America. Bring justice. So as a leadership team, we set our theme for the next several months. As a community, we're going to prioritize prayer. We'd already made that decision last week. I want to call all of us right now to, just to wake up spiritually, just to be alert, to wake up spiritually, to, to fast and to pray, to seek the heart of God for the manifestation of his kingdom, for revival, and so what does this mean for us practically? We're going to be rolling out some different things we're going to be doing over the next several months to prioritize prayer. But just in a very personal and practical way, I just encourage you, look at your schedule. Look at how you're spending your time. Our leadership team right now, we're, we're actually looking at how we're spending all of our time, auditing our time, and making sure that we are before the Lord in the prayer room like we said we wanted to be. And doing what we've said we wanted to do. All of our staff is, is, that's full-time is, is uh, commissioned to do 24 hours a week in fasting and prayer and studying the word in the place of the prayer room. And so we're just like now as a leadership team, we're even making sure we're auditing ourselves and making sure that our time is, is spent the way that we've said we were going to spend it and, and, and before the Lord. And I will ask us as a community just to look at your schedule in a similar way and see how you're spending your time. Just see where you're putting your energy and, and, and find those places where you're just wasting time and throw yourself in the place of prayer right now. And you know, some of you 15, 20 minutes from here, you can drive right on over and get in the prayer room. It's not a big deal. You can get right in here and do, do sets in the prayer room. Some of you, you know, you may be 30, 45 minutes away and I understand traffic and all that and it's more difficult. So then just prioritize it in your life and in your schedule. Look at your schedule. Maybe there's early morning hours. Maybe there's lunch. Maybe there's evening. Maybe there's just times with family. You just prioritize prayer. And we're going to just, as a community, we're going to do what we said we wanted to do, which is have a place where Jesus is honored and magnified and glorified. And we're going to do that first and above everything else right now. That's what we're doing in this season. We're going to turn our hearts to the Lord. We don't need another entertainment deal in the church. We don't need another social event. We just need, just with hearts that are raw, just turning to God, asking God to hear us and heal us, to pour out His Spirit, pray for the region, pray for the church and, you know, throughout the city and throughout the, the, the nation. Pray for the the believers, pray for the lost, pray for the government. I just want God's kingdom to come. I just want his will to be done. I want Jesus to be exalted. We're gonna call a fast, November 1st through 7th, leading up to this election. On the 7th, you'll go in a voting booth and you'll, you'll put marks on that, that voting deal. But for seven days, we're gonna vote Jesus. For seven days leading up, we're gonna fast and pray and we're gonna vote Jesus for our nation. 
We'll get more information on that. But over the next three months, I'm asking all of us to go after the heart of the Lord in the place of prayer. And here's the deal. This is the way that we get the spirit of prophecy on us. Remember, I started the message and I said, I'm, I'm, I have a concern that we're about to lose in the church. We're about to lose the prophetic voice because we're lining ourselves with immorality and we're not taking a stand for righteousness. Well, the way that you get the spirit of prophecy and the way that you get the prophetic voice is you, you open the Bible, you get in the word, and you put your head on Jesus' breast and you hear the heartbeat of Jesus. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. And I want the spirit of prophecy on us as a community and on the church in this region. And we'd be a people turned to the heart of the Lord and saying, Lord, whatever your will, whatever your wish, whatever your word, speak it and we'll be faithful to it and we'll declare with truth what your word is in this hour. It's not a good time for opinions, human opinions. It's a good time for the heart of the Lord and the word of the Lord to be declared. And we need to humble ourselves with fasting and weeping and mourning and ask him to rain down righteousness. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand.